0: You're listening to a Wheels on the Ground production. This episode of Disability After Dark has been brought to you by Come As You Are. Come As You Are is Canada's only worker-owned co-op sex shop. Trans-owned and operated, Come As You Are carefully reviews and curates their selection of sex toys, books, and DVDs. Now you can get 15% off your next purchase at ComeAsYouAre.com using coupon code AFTERDARK. Hey there, my sexy disabled lovers. It's almost Valentine's Day and my friends, AdamandEve.com, want me to let you know that they have some really cool Valentine's Day offers for you. And so I want to let you know all about it right now. Get comfy, cozy, and crippled. Open your box of chocolates and let me tell you all about it. Free stuff is the best stuff. But free stuff that will ignite your sexy, disabled Valentine's Day is even better. Check this out. When you go to adamandeve.com and select almost any one item, you'll get it at 50% off. That's amazing by itself. But it gets even more amazing because they load on the free stuff. When you enter my exclusive code, only for Disability After Dark listeners, at checkout, which is DarkPod, that's D-A-R-K-P-O-D at checkout, not only do you get the one item at 50% off, you'll also get 10 free gifts for your Valentine's Day pleasure. And let me tell you all about them. First, you'll get six free movies that you can download for your viewing pleasure. You can watch them with a sexy partner on Valentine's Day, or you can eat that box of chocolates and watch them by yourself if you want to. But six free movies, that's amazing, I love free movies, that's great, go ahead and get that. You will also get a free mystery pack that includes an item for penis havers and an item for vulva havers. And it's something I know you'll definitely enjoy. Plus, with all this, you get free shipping. And that's pretty awesome for Valentine's Day. Who doesn't want a free Valentine's Day gift? That's pretty cool, right? So again, if you want to get all this free Valentine's Day stuff, make sure at checkout you use the code DARKPOD. So you go to adamandeve.com and you use the, the code Dark Pod. Again, that's D-A-R-K P-O-D at checkout. And you will get all of those things. One item for 50% off. The movies, the mystery pack, all that stuff for Valentine's Day, which you can use with a partner or yourself on Valentine's Day. Get that stuff now. D-A-R-K P-O-D at checkout. Dark Pod at checkout at adamandeve.com. Take advantage of it, listeners, right now. Happy Valentine's Day! Content warning. The language, content, and discussion found within this episode of Disability After Dark will be explicit. Listener discretion advised. You're listening to Disability After Dark, the podcast shining a bright light on disability stories
1: with your host, Disability Awareness Consultant, Drew Gerza.
0: Hello, hello, friends. Welcome to the show, friends. Thank you so much for clicking on this brand new episode of Disability After Dark. We are at episode number 228 of the official show, which blows my mind. Thank you so much for being here through all the changes, all the years, all the guests, all the stories. Thank you for being here for the 95,000 work changes that the podcast has gone through, thank you for nominating the show, supporting the show, listening to the show, thank you so much for being here. But now, let's get comfy, cozy, and crippled. I'm Daddy Drew Gerza, let's get this show started. First things first, if you are a Patreon supporter of the show, thank you. That also means you got a weird, sexy shout out from me at some point. And you listened to our show yesterday on our super-secret Patreon feed. One day early and completely ad-free. How cool is that? I want to thank you all for being supporters. (coughs) Those of you who, who support the show via Patreon, thank you so much for the support. And if you want to be like one of the cool cripple kids and support the show one day early, if you're able to, you can pledge as little as $1 a month or as much as $5 a month to support the show, or more, by going to patreon.com slash disabilityafterdark. Also, now patreon.com has enabled me to allow you to pledge a yearly amount. So if you want to just do one yearly pledge of whatever you can, I really appreciate that. It helps me keep the show going, and helps me keep myself going as a disabled person. So, really, really appreciate your support. But, if you can't support financially, you can support via reviews, telling your friends, blogging about it, um, tweeting about it, talking about it to people. I really, I really would value any support you have for the show. It all means the world to me. But now, let's get started. On the episode today, I sit down with my new friend, Artie Carden, who is a content creator out of Brighton, UK. And we talk about their experience getting diagnosed with Crohn's disease, what it's like having BPD, and what it's like having a second bumhole. That's part of the conversation today. We also talk about how their chronic illness and disabilities have been perceived by the medical community in the UK, and their experience has, not surprisingly, been pretty shitty. Um, We talk about how their experience with disability has affected their relationship and their friendships and kind of how they feel about abandonment and stuff like that. We talk about how their disabilities have impacted their sex life. We talk about how their disabilities have impacted their ability to wear certain clothing. There's so much to unpack here. We had a really jam-packed time, and one of my favorite things that I get to do on this show is to let different disabled people shine a light on their story, and that's what we did here on the show today. So, without further ado, here's my jam-packed interview with my new friend, Artie Carden, right here on Disability After Dark. Artie Carden, hello! Hi! hi it's such a pleasure to have you on disability after dark how are you today
1: um good a little bit achy we'll say that now but when am I not otherwise doing all right
0: (laughs) kind of the joy of disability isn't it you're never you're never not quite achy um and I love talking to people from over the pond so it's always nice to I was there back in 2019 and I fell in love with London and I want to I want to like move there (laughs) and it's it's my favorite place ever.
1: Yeah, I think, I think a lot of um, Americans feel that way, for sure.
0: Mary, um, you mean Canadians?
1: Or, and Canadians. You know, you guys over that way. <laughs> but I don't feel like any of us in our direction feel that way about London.
0: And you're not I in London? there for a little while. You're, how far away from London are you?
1: Um, not, not really that far. Maybe an hour and a half, two hours
0: Okay, Uh, see, in my head, head, which I know is not true, but in my head, all British people live in London. So when they say they don't live there, I'm like, (laughs) why?
1: To be fair, I live relatively close uh, compared to where I could be. Um, I'm just down south um, near Brighton by the sea.
0: Nice. I know that because I watch... British TV, and I know things get filmed over there. <laughs> That's all I know about it. Um, um, so I stumbled on you a couple of years. I well, I want to say it's been a couple of years now that we've been following each other
1: um, on the socials. Maybe at least a year, maybe a yeah. bit longer.
0: Yeah, and I have seen a lot of the. And you know, you're also like a content creator, and you do like cool stuff on like disability and and stuff on you know books and cool stuff. So we've been following each other that way. And then I was like, you know what? I want to do, I want to have you on my show. So I reached out and I was like, let's have you on. So, can you introduce yourself to the audience? Tell us a little bit about who you are, what you do, and, and what your disabilities are.
1: Um, yeah. Hi, I am Artie Cardin. I'm a queer, non binary, disabled, chronically ill person. <laughs> the labels continue on forever. So I'll stop there. But um, yeah, I writer i guess i'm a writer sometimes actor um but i like to yeah i like to do everything i don't know how to do one thing i do all the things
0: yeah so, me too um, I'm, i like to have yeah. my hands in all the places being like how can i do this i want to do this i like it's very hard yeah. to see what i do <laughs> um yeah
1: pretty much same here i just sort of dabble in everything because i get bored very easily and i need to keep my brain (laughs) stimulated
0: stimulation is super good so can you describe kind of what your disabilities are and how they impact your day today
1: um yeah that's also a long list but i'll stick with like the main three physical disabilities um so the one that i've known about my whole life is hypermobility syndrome so that's kind of just joints that don't work properly and ligaments that are too stretchy um then I don't the worry. You're
0: like our millionth guest with, yeah. with GDS.
1: Everyone has it, but apparently it's rare. I don't it's so it. common,
0: and it's so common in the disability circles.
1: Yeah, literally. So um, that's the one I've had, or knowingly, the, the longest. Um, then I was diagnosed with Crohn's in 2019. Um, after a a long time of having stomach problems um
0: i have some problems too so i know the i know it's yeah it's,
1: it's really glamorous and fun very so
0: fun <laughs> so hot shit is the best
1: yeah um my favorite part uh is just needing to run to the toilet yep
0: imagine needing. imagine needing to do that but not being able to do that yeah it's it's, it's a great awesome time
1: <laughs> yeah and then um my most recent diagnosis was last June um, and it's a rare type of vasculitis called Takayasu's Arteritis. So basically it uh, I have autoimmune conditions coming out of my ears <laughs> um, and the Takayasu's affects my arteries. Um, so that's kind of where a lot of my issues lie at the moment.
0: <laughs> so the tachyasis like how does it affect your arteries like you like you um
1: so it's inflammation based um which can um lead to narrow narrowing god i'm gonna struggle to speak narrowing the arteries um they can actually be like fully blocked
0: um there's also
1: aneurysms are possible heart attacks
0: Cool. You have all yeah, the
1: of great fun. <laughs> Such a fun
0: thing to do. And how old are you?
1: Twenty six.
0: <laughs> oh wow! Like that's it's a yeah. lot to try to navigate at twenty six.
1: Yeah, <laughs> I think as well that um, I didn't think I was disabled until the last few years. Um, but looking back, I have always been disabled. I've just been conditioned to think I was not. <laughs>
0: And how, how does it feel for you, this is not a question I wrote down, but one that I was thinking about when you were talking, how does it feel for you to, like, be coming into that knowledge of being disabled now?
1: Um, <clears throat> um, I don't know, there's definitely parts of it that are harder to kind of wrap your head around than others. I think overall... I'm of the feeling of, you know, it's not my disability that upsets me or limits me. Um, It's the world around me and also the people who I rely on to care for me. (laughs) Yeah. Um, And I feel like if those weren't issues that I had to deal with every day, um, then I would, I don't know, I don't think, especially as I don't, use any um, like mobility aids very often. I don't think anyone would have a clue and I don't think it would really affect me at all. Um, But because you know you're supposed to work nine
0: till five, (laughs) get on a train
1: or drive to work, (laughs) work in a job that makes you feel like crap. Those are things I can't do that all my friends around me are doing at the moment, um, um, and there's definitely like a a weird like inconsistency between me and my friends. The few people who are still my friends are quite good and understanding with it all.
0: So um, you've had you you've had trouble like maintaining friendships because people just mm. don't get that you have disabilities. Is that?
1: Yeah, I think like once you especially if you move away from an area where your like group of friends were so like um, I moved from where I am now to London for university and then moved back um, and kind of most of my friends from university I don't really speak to at all anymore which I mean I know is also relatively normal anyway but for the most part it's just that nobody really wants to put the effort in to come to me um to come and see me or work around like a lot of my needs um so like even just um the times I have seen some of my friends who I went to uni with we would go meet somewhere for you know like a drink snack go to whatever the thing we were going to do was like we were going to I think we were going to like an art exhibition or something. Um, And they are quite good that they check in with me. They, you know, don't mind waiting around if I need to like have a sit down for a minute or a break, or um, if I start feeling a bit weird, they'll like go and grab water or something. Um, They also look into the restaurants around because that's the other thing for me is I can't eat 90% of food that is made uh, out there because I'm lactose intolerant and I can't eat spicy food they both trigger Crohn's flares
0: fun
1: yes uh, and I was a vegetarian for 10 years but veggie food has cheese in it pretty much all the time when you go out Um, and then vegan food is like always spicy yeah so I just I would eat a plate of chips when I went out.
0: <laughs> yeah, because it's the easiest thing for you to eat. Totally.
1: Yeah. So, um, yeah, there's definitely been a lot of like isolation I was getting used to before lockdown, anyway. Um, but then with multiple lockdowns and being on like the high high risk group uh, of people in England, um, I've not been able to see any of my friends, even if we'd only see each other. A few times a year, maybe. Um, and the tiny bit of freedom I kind of did have disappeared, and I didn't realize how much I needed and enjoyed the like one day a week I would sort of spend by myself, just yeah, walking around a, a town near me,
0: just being able to go like out, and yeah, just stuff. going yeah.
1: somewhere. <laughs>
0: Oh no, I miss that too. It's been, it's been a weird, it's been a weird year. Mm. It's been a really weird year. Yeah. Um, tell me a little bit about kind of your experiences. In, in the questionnaire, you mentioned that when you were getting all these diagnoses and you were figuring out what it was that you were man- trying to manage with all these disabilities, you were really, really brushed off by doctors and I hear this so much on the show people tell me how shitty their experiences with doctors have been can you kind of share what your experiences with doctors were like and how they treated you and how that went in your search for Um, diagnosis
1: yeah I mean I it's kind of happened since I was a child because um (laughs) something I've been learning more recently was actually I was quite a sick child too um like I seem to have this weird section in the middle between child and adult where I was not disabled apparently. So that's <laughs> a very weird was probably all the especially. hormones of being a teenager being like,
0: oh, you know, we're not gonna make you sick for the next four years because you're growing and then after you're gonna get real sick.
1: Yeah, it must be something to do with that. <laughs> but um, I remember that we were looking for why I was in pain as a child, and it must have been the hypermobility syndrome. Um, and I was just brushed off and said I'd grow out of it. And here I am, age 26. Uh, I've still not grown out of it, uh, unfortunately. Um, you know, still a thing. I'm just popping a rib out every now and again.
0: <laughs> so sexy, so fun.
1: Yeah. And then also that's something that doctors don't believe happens either. I went to A&E one Christmas because I uh, was just suddenly in so much pain. I couldn't breathe. I sort of collapsed on the bathroom floor. Oh, no. um, yeah I mean it was I think it was around when I'd been sort of re-diagnosed and was going through um, oh, like benefits that we have over here personal independence payment um, so I knew I had it I knew it was going on and I knew my ribs came out of place I'd had several like other medical professionals tell me so but when I went to A&E they didn't even scan me they, they
0: wanted to take they, they didn't even look at you to see what they just said, it's not happening.
1: Um, no, they basically said it was, uh, I'd pulled the muscle from a cough that I didn't have and then sent me home with codeine. Um, that was in 2016. Um, so that's when I learned to never go to AE for that again. Um, then I also had, yeah, like I had stomach problems for a long time before I was diagnosed with Crohn's. I was told it was just IBS and didn't have any other tests done to just make sure, which is what they're supposed to do. And actually I saw the same doctor who told me I had IBS when I went back, like there is something else going on here. Um, and he was like, oh, okay, we'll get you tested for like an IBD. We'll see if you might have Crohn's or colitis. i was like, well, you didn't do that last time. He was like, well, we always do that. I was like, well, you, <laughs> you were the one I spoke to six years ago. You didn't. Um, so that was great. I might have been diagnosed sooner if he had just done things the way they were supposed to do. Them. He had
0: just done what doctors are supposed to do. And like, you know,
1: yeah. like
0: <laughs> if they do what they do on Grey's Anatomy, where like you overcheck. And they do like you know what we wish they would do, but never do in real life. Yeah, though that that's horrible. Like, and you mm-hmm. also you also mentioned that like when you were getting all these diagnoses, they also mentioned that some of this could be attributed to your weight, and they brushed you off. And instead of sort of looking at what the diagnosis could be, they also were like, "Hey, it could just be your weight," which is totally fat phobia and gross. And yeah,
1: <laughs> yeah. Um, I think the, the first time I can kind of really remember. I think I've blocked a lot of them out, to be honest. But um, the first time I remember it was I was doing hydrotherapy in London um, for, like, the hypermobility stuff. So I was, like, already feeling kind of vulnerable in a swimming costume. um, And the lady made, like, um, a very rude comment about my size and weight. Um, And I was very taken aback because why... (laughs) Why is that yeah, something like, that you're saying what, to me right now? <laughs>
0: yeah, why Why is my weight relevant to this, what's happening?
1: Yeah, like I'm here to do some exercises in a hot pool and then maybe do them further down the line. Um, why are you commenting on my weight? Thank you very
0: much. And I'm also um, here to feel better about myself. Why are you making me feel like shit right now? Yeah. I'm trying to, feel, trying to get better. Why? <laughs> like, why?
1: Yeah, like, why are you doing this to me? I don't want to come back. Um, and then the most recent time was right around with this sort of new diagnosis I was trying to get. Um, I saw this rheumatologist at my local hospital who I kind of went to see because I was in A&E a few months before because of Crohn's and they always just send you to the rheumatologist as well. Um, and she was brushing off this pain I was talking about which is my right arm basically around 2018 lost a lot of mobility just kind of out of nowhere and was very painful to use and I'd been trying to get an answer for a long time um, but she was the only one who was like oh it's probably just your hypermobility syndrome we know that makes things hurt um, and then the letter she sent to my GP um was says something like weight optimization would oh, be wow. beneficial or something like that and I was like wow that's a new way of saying I'm fat cool <laughs> weight optimization um and it was luckily thanks to my GP that I even got the diagnosis in the end he was like the Grey's Anatomy doctors he was like um Like he's used to my gran. We see the same doctor and my gran is also very peculiar. Oh, nice. (laughs) It's good to have Um, a
0: family when you want to get diagnosed then, I guess.
1: Yeah, I mean, he he kind of just is used to it. So he's like, oh, okay, well, if you're anything like your grandmother, then uh, (laughs) we better have a look at some other things that are less common. Um, So it was him who actually noticed that I lacked a pulse in my arm, which is a very... Interesting symptom,
0: yeah. That I nobody
1: mean, else noticed. Yeah, so that's um, like basically why I thought at one point I had something like um, thoracic outlet syndrome, but that only happens when your arm's in this position, apparently. But I just don't have a pulse in my arm, or it's so so quiet. Um, it's basically you can't find it
0: that's kind of cool so at halloween and like parties and stuff you can play dead and, and people you, people will be like oh my god there's no pulse
1: well yeah i saw on um, i saw on a dating app recently someone was like well as long as you have a pulse i was like i don't even meet that criteria <laughs> well, I was like, I guess, oh wow <laughs> the lowest <I> guess,
0: bars <laughs> yeah yeah i guess you're not going on that first date on the tinder yeah
1: <laughs> yeah i guess not <laughs>
0: So how, when, when, you know, people would comment on your weight and dismiss your kind of diagnoses because of the of weight or their, pre, or their perception of what weight can do. How did you like, how did you, obviously it, it affected you. How do you, how do you feel about that?
1: I honestly um, just kind of get this rage response. <laughs> I, have, um, I have borderline personality disorder. So I have quite a very extreme strong emotions um and anger is sort of my default for things so i pretty much would just get so angry um and actually i did get to give that doctor a piece of my mind a few months later um sorry
0: is it good you should have
1: (laughs) yeah like we finally got answers from uh other doctors from vascular so all the veins and artery people um and apparently it was actually rheumatologists who are supposed to care for me for this condition as well so she was actually the one who should have found it and not my gp um so she rang me uh and this was right just as like lockdown was happening over here so april yeah end of April sometime in April something like that um and I yeah I felt like my body I was shaking because I had like there was so much emotion (laughs) and I was just like so angry but also I was like shitting myself (laughs) because I was like I can't believe I like she's actually ringing me I thought I don't know I didn't think she would have um the courage to ring me <laughs> to be honest um so I got to tell her like look you failed me you didn't listen to what I was telling you you didn't decide to look into anything else um, and she also immediately discharged me after seeing me uh, she didn't even wait for any other possible um tests to be done or anything like that um, and she sort of was like oh well it is very rare I'm like even though it's rare I am sorry I missed it I was like well thank, thank god my doctor listened to me and thank yeah, god thank- I, I, I knew not to listen to you
0: but I think it's real, I think the opportunity you had to like tell her what you were feeling I think it's so it's so rare and so yeah. valuable and I think more people who who come up against the medical community need to be given the chance and not not to like admonish the person or be angry and of course the anger is valid but I think just to sit with them and be like let me tell you how what you did or didn't do how it sucked for me let me just share that with you so you get an idea of why I was pissed off at you or why I'm upset or what like Mm. I think patient advocacy like they have those people in the hospitals and in in those places all the time but they don't they don't their job is to liaise between you and the and the medical professionals. I think it's really valuable, more so when the patient and the the doctor sit down together and be like, "Here's what went on," and that doesn't happen very often. So I'm really glad you got the chance to do that.
1: Yeah, I mean, I also have the per- uh, personal experience of uh, going through complaints and the liaison's teams as well for other other things, other reasons. Um, and yeah that is the issue is that a lot of the time um that's the last resort is going through those channels but then yeah. also even then does anything change because uh the last time i did that was because of my ibd team kind of left me in the lurch didn't ever really respond to a lot of my emails um yeah
0: that's nice so you're on the toilet all day dying and they're like oh yeah, yeah. we'll get back to you Very good luck
1: yeah i mean uh <laughs> because I ended up in A&E with uh, a rare symptom of a Crohn's flare um, called erythema nodosum, which is kind of like fat deposits in your legs that bruise and are some of the most excruciating pain I've felt in my life. Then following that, about uh, a month or so later, I then had a perianal abscess, um, which is also some of the worst pain I've ever felt in my life. And that was sort of when they'd abandoned me. Um, So it was really early in diagnosis too. That was uh, about six weeks after I was diagnosed.
0: So Um, right around the time when you would need somebody to teach you how to manage all this stuff, they were like, nope. Yeah,
1: yeah." they would answer maybe one or two out of seven questions um, or just never get back to me. Uh, And I'd also never met the consultant I was supposed to be seeing um I literally ended up getting a different consultant by accident. <laughs> um, and I was like, that's fine. I actually like you. You sound nice. Can you stay as my consultant?
0: Yeah, can somebody just like follow me through this? like the it's having had tummy troubles for the last, I want to say four plus years, I know the I, I know quite intimately the struggle of like, can you just give me something to make all this go away? Yeah. (laughs) Can you please give me something? And like, I've changed my diet multiple times. I've like gone to specialists. I've gone to appointments. I've had, you know, surgeries for bowel obstructions. I've had all that stuff done to me. And still they're like, ah, it's just IBS. I'm just like, but is it though? Can we do like a more extensive look?
1: Yeah, that's... uh. That was literally, it It took uh, six years and uh, when I first sort of started flaring for the first time where I was like, there's definitely something wrong. I was on the toilet literally almost all night on and off the toilet. Oh no. Um, Blood, vomiting, that's something that I wasn't used to. I was actually being sick. Um, That was sort of when I was like, there's definitely something not right here because I'm never like, I had diarrhea all the time, but I was never sick um and then i was also getting these horrendous like hot cold chills and sweats whilst i was yeah that, on the toilet the and, on um yeah and it's just that's what it took for a gp to listen to me and send me for tests um but then even after being confirmed yes this is this is what's going on with you the team who was supposed to then be sort of like personally taking care of me and answering questions and stuff like that were just sort of like suddenly I cannot read suddenly I do not know how to answer the phone
0: <laughs> oh no like um, I think that's so unfortunate that and this happens all the time with this disabled and chronically ill people like the medical and you know the medical teams that are first of all i am of i'm the other way like i don't want to talk to the doctors unless i'm dying like i'll figure it out i'll I'll be fine like i don't want to talk to them because i'm like you're not going to help me anyway so i just i'm not going to worry about it because you're just going to give me the runaround and why do i have to waste my time if i'm dying i'll go to er and we'll figure it out then um but like it's really unfortunate that when you want answers and when you want somebody to give you a comprehensive like here's what's wrong they all go oh no we don't know how to do that
1: yeah (laughs) yeah I mean it was just it it was sort of like I was given the answers and then was just like well there you go figure it out there there you go there you go I'm like yeah uh, and
0: so they Um, gave you the raw materials and then said okay just draw this really famous painting by yourself best luck to you
1: Yeah like uh, they gave me some basic language uh, terminology and were like now you have to speak Latin fluently. (laughs) Um,
0: Best of luck to you.
1: Yeah like good luck here's some French words learn to speak Latin. (laughs) That's That's how that feels to me. (laughs) That's a
0: really that's a I'm gonna use that as like as like a way of talking about it when When doctors don't listen, here's some French words. Now speak (laughs) that.
1: I'm really proud of myself for that. That just came off the top of my head. But that's how it feels to me a lot. It's just like, here are some basic words in a language, but now you have to speak a whole different language.
0: Best of luck to you. (laughs) Yeah, that that sounds really, really frustrating. So as sexy as all of those things were, we, we on the show, at one point, we were a sex sex only podcast and now we do everything but because we were a sex only, a sex a sexy we are a a sexy podcast um you mentioned to me in your questionnaire that some of the diagnoses you have played a role in your sex life would you mind talking about that
1: yeah I mean I don't I haven't really talked about this much but it's something that I have been aware of for a while um so my Takiasu's affects my dominant arm, my right arm, um, that any repetitive motion it is agony after a while basically. Um, and this sort of kicked in in my last year of university when I was dating one maybe two people. <laughs> um, and that's sort all of partly when I noticed was sex was very painful and it was very difficult to get through, basically, um, just because I just, I just couldn't do anything with that, like my arm, my hand.
0: So you couldn't even, like, so you obviously couldn't masturbate and you couldn't self Yeah,
1: I mean, it's, it, it, I, it's doable, <laughs> Well, it's painful. it's it Difficult and like yeah, which means basically,
0: which means basically, <laughs> it's not doable because you're like, well, if I can do it, but if I'm hurting, why am I going to do it then?
1: Yeah, it's very difficult. Um, so that was sort of my main issue, I suppose, with the actual having of sex. Um, but then also, obviously, things that came with Crohn's, uh, especially like early on, was just like. I never knew if I needed the toilet or not right away. And, or suddenly it's like, oh, um, I'm in the middle of something right now. I need the toilet right now. Uh, I'll be right back. I'll be right I'll see you in a minute. Uh, give me like 10. <laughs> back. Um, and like, I also had really excessive bloating, which was like painful. Um,
0: yeah, I have that a lot with my uh, yeah. So I know, yeah, I, it's really, really it's, painful.
1: Yeah, it was awful. Like I, I, that sort of dissipated in the last few months, thankfully. But it, like when it was bad, I feel like I tripled in size, um, and I couldn't even wear like waistbands and stuff. Let alone be physically active. Like you want me to do things, or
0: like feeling it, or feeling or even feeling like sexy, good. or like yeah. yeah.
1: Um, and then like I haven't had any partners in like two and a half years by choice Um, but since I had a perianal abscess and peri means near I don't need to explain further (laughs) Um, it's
0: near your bum folks it's near your (laughs) ass just in Uh, case you're wondering that's what we mean
1: (laughs) yeah which had to be drained which then led to uh, a fistula which is a small like canal linking from <laughs> inside my bum hole to outside my bum <laughs> hole which
0: um, i never heard of it referred, I never heard of it referred to as a canal before I think that's what
1: we call it here it's like a canal um
0: <laughs> I mean, I'm I'm all about that definition
1: um but yeah so uh I mean, I lovingly called it my second bum hole for a long time because it was. Well, about, I think um... we found
0: the tag for this episode. It's gonna be my <laughs> second bum <laughs> hole.
1: Wonderful, uh, <laughs> yeah. It was about uh, two centimeters deep for like five months. It took oh. a long time to heal, um, and there was a point where I almost didn't like. I th- thought it wasn't going to. And it was, like, in my mind of, like, well, how the fuck am I going to approach this if I do ever have a sexual partner again? I'm like, especially um, at the time, I wasn't sure if it would ever stop discharging as well, which is mm, very sexy. So hot. I have a fun little bit of, like, gauze between my butt cheeks at all times um, because otherwise i would get infected. So it was like, just have this tiny bit of... Gauze between my cheeks. Hello? <laughs>
0: How are you doing today? So so the so the the running tally for the titles of this show is gonna be <laughs> Canal Between My Canal Between My Asshole. Or <laughs> what or the one we just said, or Gauze Between My Cheeks. <laughs> I mean,
1: they're all like pretty descriptive of <laughs> living my life. <laughs>
0: I mean um, and so was that part of the reason why and you just mentioned earlier that you like made the choice to like not be with partners was all that stuff kind of the reason why you're like I'm not going to be with someone.
1: um, It kind of all stemmed from my BPD mainly that I was just not capable of uh, having emotionally healthy relationships Um, and I kind of just jumped from one to the other like as soon as one was over I was in another one within a few weeks. Um, so I noticed this and was like, right, I need to stop doing that. (laughs) Um, so that was what made that decision for me was my mental health. But then within the next two years was all of my, uh, physical health kind of drastically changing, um, and learning how to deal with all of it, all the changes Uh, what that then meant for my future, um, and learning to appreciate myself and my body in a a way that I never knew I needed to. Um, So I've kind of spoken to people on dating apps in that time, but not really delved any further into anything because... uh, (laughs) part of it is that I'm like oh no um I'm not ready to go there yet but also I'm like I love myself too much to get stressed over people who I don't have any interest in
0: (laughs) yeah who are are not going to be able to understand what your needs are yeah and then dismiss you because of that like I'm I'm of the same boat where I've been single most of my whole like I haven't ever had a serious relationship My, my the most serious relationship that I have is with my primary sex worker when I'm able to see them and you know it's a great relationship we're good friends but even that's transactional so I understand yeah. like the understanding that you'll never have that both feels sad and I have moments where I'm really sad about it and I, but I also have moments where I'm like I'm good I don't need anybody <laughs> I'll like Get yeah. naked. I'll get naked with the person when I want to and then I'll I won't when I don't want to and it's fine
1: yeah and it's definitely a lot of <laughs> a lot of that for me too That um uh it was really difficult to get used to to begin with because it almost was like an addiction <laughs> for me of just like jumping from person to person so there was definitely a lot of like uh habits that I had to teach myself to do differently from that point onwards um and then with all the diagnoses how have you say that jesus <laughs> uh was just like here's a million things you now need to learn about yourself um good luck maybe yeah. see
0: you next year if you make it <laughs> if you make it jesus god it's so scary um, and then, like, yeah, and also looking at all the diagnoses that you have to navigate now, like, it's one thing to ne- to learn and navigate that by yourself and to figure that out uh, enough out for yourself. But then I, I don't know how the fuck I would describe my disability to a long term partner that I cared about. I don't know what I would say. Like, I know what to say to a up at 2 a.m. when I want to, like, get my rocks off and then have you leave. But I have no idea what to say to somebody if I'm like, I want to spend time with you and get to know you. I don't know what I would do. <laughs>
1: Yeah, I think I don't think I would have managed to be honest because I think I needed to be by myself for all of that and all of this still going on um, because it's I became single to learn more about myself anyway Um, and I don't think being whether a serious relationship or dating I don't think that would have been a great position to be in um, whilst being overloaded with all this information. Because, I mean, uh, (laughs) the time I spent before I was diagnosed when I was single um, helped me develop uh, a relatively stable mental health, which I needed for all of the stuff that was then to come. Um, because I was then like uh, I was then traumatized by some members of staff uh, at a hospital literally the day of my diagnosis uh, of Crohn's um, and then I was in A&E six weeks later and then I was on steroids and then I had the perianal abscess which then had to be operated on which then didn't heal for five months and (laughs) and then I was diagnosed with the was like it was sort of every month or two something else happened um
0: yeah and it's like how do you bring how do you bring a new person into all that and be like here's what I'm going through want to stick around like yeah
1: yeah it's just like wasn't it wouldn't have been doable for me because I mean I, I was trying to figure out how to love myself let alone how I would try to figure out how to love somebody else at the same time because yeah. i already have that unhealthy like relationship towards loving people or i did um, well, what
0: was your if i can ask what was your like unhealthy relationship towards loving people
1: um very intense fear of abandonment which meant that i could i would do basically anything to try and stop someone from leaving me wow
0: we sound like best friends I know this feeling
1: (laughs) very common I know lots of people like this now as well and uh yeah so that I don't know I was just I wanted to know what my partners were doing all the time I was texting them all the time I definitely didn't have uh an appropriate understanding of boundaries
0: yeah Um, I I feel very very similar in when I first And even now, sometimes like, like I've reached a good place with the people that I see now where I've learned, I'm learning that like them not texting me is not a reflection on their feelings of me. Maybe they're Mm. busy. Maybe they're doing, they have a life. Maybe like things outside of me are happening that I don't need to be involved with. And so like reminding myself that it doesn't have to do with you. It doesn't mean they don't care. If they didn't care, they would just tell you or like,
1: (laughs) yeah, I mean, um, I spent the summer before I came home, um, I was single in London with my friends um, and like my friend, Megan, who is still my best friend to this day was basically kind of one of the number one reasons I learned a lot of uh, appropriate behavior, I suppose, in relationships. like uh, part of it was that she was able to provide what I needed in a friend or any kind of relationship that she was, you know, she showed me that I was lovable, even though I was a bit mad. <laughs> and she showed me that I'm still lovable, even though I am chronically ill and disabled. Yeah. Um, she still shows me that kind of respect and love. So she was a pretty major part of me learning that, you know, uh, boundaries and things like that are not an insult or like a, you know, they're not saying that I'm doing something wrong because they're not replying right away.
0: Yeah, I Uh, mean, I think it's really hard for a lot of disabled and chronically ill people to, to be okay with the idea of someone else's boundaries. For me anyway, and I'll speak for me. But for me, like I always found boundaries to be like what you're saying, an insult or like some sort of some sort of you're putting up this boundary because I've done something wrong and therefore you think I'm wrong. And then I would like spin that out even further to be like, you think I'm wrong because I'm disabled and therefore I'm different. Mm. So you wouldn't put boundaries on this able-bodied person if you were dating them or you were with them and like and learn and coming to a place where you learn that like. No, the boundaries are for this other person. They maybe just need some space and it doesn't mean they don't like you. It means they're trying to tell you that they need, they, need to, they need their own time. And so learning that for me has been, it's still a journey now, but it's something that I'm really glad that somebody, one of the sex workers that I see and work with said to me very early on in our hanging out, he said, you can't, you can't be texting me all the time because A, this is my job and B, I have a life. And see, like, I care about you, and but I can't, I'm not, my job is not to be there with you every all the time. And so that hurt initially when he said that, but I was very thankful he did because it kind of snapped me out of why doesn't this person devote their whole life to me? And like, it reminded me that, like, there are moments when I have chronic illness and disability stuff where I don't wanna talk to people and I don't want them to be bothering me and so why would I expect that someone else wouldn't be going through something similar and then Mm. expect them to just drop their whole life and text me all the time
1: yeah I mean that literally my friend kind of was like um oh I can't always listen if you've got like something going on but I will tell you that so you know Um, and I'll tell you it's you know it's nothing to do with you in the future for just so you know Um, but I will tell you you know I can't be that person for you right now maybe later or whatever and I but that was sort of the thing that made me realize that that's that's all I needed yeah was just someone to say I can't right now this doesn't mean I don't care but I'm you know, dealing with my own. Doing XYZ or right I'm busy now. or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, yeah. so like that then progressed into actually learning that even if I just don't get any response, that's still not on me.
0: Yeah, um, it has nothing to do with it like-
1: stemmed. Yeah, it stemmed from just being told.
0: <laughs> yeah, and I told I completely relate to that side of it of like you want. You just want somebody to tell you that it isn't you didn't do the bad thing and or you didn't do something to piss them off. And then all of a sudden it feels better. Like now I don't mm-hmm. when this person when like people that I'm into don't text me back right away, I don't I'm not freaking out. I'm like, maybe they're busy, maybe they have a life. And if I hear from them today, great. And if I don't hear from them today, it's okay.
1: Yeah, I think it also prepared me for, I mean, like I said <laughs> when we first got on this call, I'm just sort of used to um being in the disabled community now that you know we can't always run on time um yeah. you know we can't always exert energy to respond to people from like learning personally that I can't always respond to people whether it's just because I'm tired or I just don't have like mental capacity to
0: yeah you know not like, the spoons to respond.
1: do it yeah um so I think that's taught me a lot for being within our community as well of just that you know we can't we can't just be on it all the time um and that's not anyone's fault that's just how it is um and that was and
0: you know I think it reminds us in the disability community too that we have to give non-disabled and non-chronically ill people the same they also Mm. have stuff or maybe they have Chronic illnesses and disabilities they don't know about yet, or things that it like. Yeah. <laughs> so, like, maybe, you know, so it reminds me that, like, this doesn't have anything, to, like, if they don't text you back right away, it doesn't mean they don't like you. It means mm. they need some time, and that's okay. Yeah. Um, tell me a little now. You mentioned in the questionnaire that a lot of the places where you live are not super accessible, particularly the LGBTQ spaces. How are they inaccessible to you?
1: Um, Well, Brighton specifically is um, a million and one hills. Oh, no. (laughs) Um, And a lot of very badly kept pavement and uh, roads and things like that. So even if you have, like, a mobility scooter or something like that um, or a power chair, like, it's just not... (laughs) You just can't even get around town a lot of the time. Oh, no. I spend most of my time in Brighton walking and watching my feet. Um, And that's one of the few times I tend to use a walking aid is uh, I'll use like a walking stick in Brighton if I'm on my own. Because like sometimes it's just not. (laughs) It's not the one (laughs) Um, and then besides that, there's also just not many. I mean, a lot of uh, businesses are like independent businesses. They're very small. Um, they don't have accessible toilets. They don't have even like accessible doorways, stuff like that. Know. Like, you can't, um, a lot of them are steps, like a step up, step in, yeah. steps up to the toilet, you know, things like that. Steps galore in Brighton. And though, even though, like that's not necessarily something I have too much of an issue with, it is still like very clearly quite a barrier for a lot of people. Yeah. Um, and I'm in the I'm in a Facebook group full of uh, sort of local disabled people, so we all sort of talk about how to get to places or if somewhere is accessible and stuff like that um because obviously as well you can't even really rely on contacting the business asking if they're accessible cuz i don't know what no, it means no cuz
0: they probably they probably um, don't even know what accessible means like they they yeah unfortunately, they just have no idea like most businesses think if they can get in the place the place is, is accessible so like what what, would you, what advice would you give these businesses to make their spaces more accessible? Like, how do you think that they could change that? Um,
1: I the basic thing would be for at least their entryways for a start. Um, seating as well. A lot of places lack seating. Or um they only have tiny stools. I can't sit on anything that doesn't. Uh so I don't know. There are loads of different things that they could do or start to do. Um I just don't personally know exactly how they would do some of them like bathrooms, especially if they're lacking space. How would they create an accessible bathroom? Or at least one. So they definitely don't have any is, the is there funding with
0: like any of the, any of the councils there could they go to like any the councils and be like hey we need some money to to make this accessible
1: uh well we're having some issues with the council actually <laughs> um there were some issues with Brighton's council where they put i think a new bike path where all of the disabled parking was oh no was all over town so <laughs> i don't think the council uh will or can be much use
0: well i know what they has to do change then. things like, like that uh the council should be should be hiring some disabled folks to like hire Artie to like come in and be like hey listen here's why this sucks
1: <laughs> yeah i mean there are plenty of us in this sort of area obviously um who they could be hiring and people who definitely know more about stuff like that than i personally do um but yeah they just they just go and do things uh, and then are surprised when people are angry about it so
0: yeah, um, that sounds pretty yeah, much it's, like it's every. it's very
1: interesting as well because uh, a YouTuber I like to watch. Is... Sorry, carry on. <laughs> no, no,
0: sorry, you're you're going on. A Keep going.
1: Uh, well, there's a there's a YouTuber I like to watch, uh, Jessica.
0: Out of the closet.
1: Ka- oh, yeah, I always get her last name mixed up. <laughs>
0: Kellen, she's located she's,
1: a, in Brighton. Kelgren Fozard. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> um, but she's, yeah, she, you know, she also uses uh, more mobility aids than I do personally. So she's been very good at <laughs> exposing Brighton for what it is. Uh, oh, hold on.
0: I heard a piece of what you said, and then I didn't hear anymore. Oh, <sighs>
1: internet cable
0: oh that's what to plug
1: into my computer (laughs)
0: because i wondered i was like because it went from being really good to like not being so great anymore Oh, that's better.
1: There we go. Yeah. Sometimes it's fine, and then it will just start throwing uh, a party.
0: Oh, that's way better. (laughs) There we go. Okay. So, so. I can.
1: Yeah, I think I was talking about uh, Jessica.
0: Yeah. Yeah. She she lives in
1: Brighton and uses mobility aids and things like that. And she's uh, done a lot of talking about. Uh, Brighton's issues with like even just the pavement alone <laughs> is pretty bad here um, yeah ex- accessibility is just not
0: top of mind
1: no uh, especially because uh, like a lot of our buildings are old so that tends to be um, takes uh, more of an importance over disabled people themselves yeah of course <laughs> the
0: historical needs of the of the town versus like the actual people living in the town yeah that's yep (laughs) always that way um one of the things you mentioned in your questionnaire that I want to touch on is tell me about the daily struggle with clothing and disability for you
1: um so I have spoken to some of my friends about like fashion and stuff uh the last like couple of years um, particularly like my fat friends who obviously they have a lot of issues because they are plus size they cannot find clothes that fits cannot find stylish clothes um, you know always fast fashion if they can find clothes um, and they didn't realize that there were actually um, limitations for disabled people finding clothes getting dressed and also trying to Look fashionable, stylish. Yeah. Um. So, like for me personally, it can vary from like like I mentioned earlier about um the extreme bloating. If I've eaten something that doesn't sit right, I will just expand. Um, and anything around my waist is just so painful. Like even my underwear. So I have to end up like rolling down like my underwear or my uh like leggings or like jeans, anything like that.
0: I actually don't wear underwear anymore because of that exact reason, because the minute I eat something that doesn't agree with me, which is pretty much everything at this point, um, there'll be bloating and pain. So I don't wear underwear anymore, which I know sounds like a sexy, like "Mm, I don't wear underwear, but no, it's really because like, (laughs) if I wear underwear, it hurts like a bitch.
1: Yeah. Well, luckily I haven't really, it's gotten better. So I don't really have that issue to deal with so much anymore, but it is definitely something I have to be careful of that, you know, there might be something that I just, my body's like, no, I do not like that. And this is how I'm going to tell you. <laughs> um, but also like uh, dexterity, um, I hate buttons, but I love shirts, I hate buttons. <laughs> I, I also can't bear anything here like around my neck um so like anything that's too um like too tight or too like a small hole neck hole um or really tight collars i can't bear any of that (laughs) it's just irritating and i'm always there just like "Ah, i'm being choked to death by my own clothes um uh, i can't remember what else i used I did write down some notes <laughs> for this one. So it's like hmm, what else happens to me um then i've got like issues with body temperature i can't regulate my body temperature very well um and i have like bad circulation my hands and my feet are pretty much always ice cold um and the only way of warming those up is with my own body heat, um, so I can't. I can't ever just put on some clothes and be done with it. It's always like, well, if I'm going to end up going inside a shop, if they've got the heating on, I'm going to die because <laughs> I'll just start sweating and I won't be able to breathe and I'll get dizzy and I'll like maybe pass out and, and all just because of like a temperature issue. Um, And then it's like, if I can't feel my feet, I will then not be able to walk properly. Or my feet go so numb, like when it snows and stuff, it's like walking on glass. Um, That was what I dealt with a lot when I went, when I was at uni in my second year, where I lived a bit further away from campus. I had to walk about 10 to 15 minutes to a bus stop. Oh, Um, and like when it was cold my feet were just immediately so cold and then like it was just awful stabbing tingling burning pain just because it's cold outside (laughs) um uh, and like shoes as well I have slip-on shoes for when I'm not doing so great whether it's with like hand pain or dexterity or whether I have to go somewhere quickly yeah like um, MRIs I have MRI outfits now because I've had so many MRIs that I am um, just I have a whole like get up
0: <laughs> that's kind of cool
1: because um, yeah that they, they they know me now they know me at the MRI uh, <laughs> scanner um, so they know that I I'm not wearing any metal, I promise, even under my mask. Um, so I literally have planned safe outfits that I can wear that I also plan about <laughs> around the time of year because they're cold, but it's horrible being in them um, in the winter. Yeah, they are,
0: and they are really cold. Yeah.
1: Like it, when it's wintertime and you have to get in an MRI, it's like, I don't want to take off all of my clothes and wear this tiny little nightgown. <laughs> I want to wear my like full-on jogging bottoms
0: and jump and have your poor perianal abscess bum like out there no exactly
1: (laughs) exactly um so yeah telling a lot of my friends about those minute details of like things I have to think about for clothes they're like wow I had no idea that you have to think about all of those things um, and then I'm also, like, between straight size and plus size. So I'm also, like, clothing is weird at my size. I, I don't know what is going on.
0: So given all that stuff, like, what is your... So, like, two questions. What is your comfort? What is your, like, comfy clothes right now? Like, what are you... If you were to just pick out an outfit for tomorrow, what would you get? And two... What is the most fantastic piece of clothing but most inaccessible piece of clothing that you wish you could wear? <laughs>
1: um okay, so my comfy outfits are basically any large t-shirt. Like I'm wearing these right now, like they're just anything that's a large t-shirt that I don't have to think about, but also gives me breathing room. Normally shorts. But sometimes leggings or tracky bottoms, and then like I've got very stereotypical like American tube socks because they're like thicker. Uh, Yeah, they're warmer. A bit warmer. Yeah,
0: yeah. yeah. as somebody with also really shitty circulation in my feet, I have. I just bought myself uh, a pair of wool sheepskin like inserts that you put in your shoes. And they have been a god. They've been a godsend. Like, thank God for those. I can actually feel (laughs) my toes now, which feels nice.
1: Yeah, those. And uh, I wear, I wear Birkenstocks all around the house because, as well, they help keep my feet off the cold floor. Yep. So even though they're just sandals, they have like a layer between.
0: And you know, they also kind of have. They're also like a queer icon shoe. Like that's kind of. That's sort of yeah. how you know someone's a big queer. It's like, oh yeah, they got sandals on.
1: Yeah, definitely. That's <laughs> that's sort of my look. The the sandals and socks is sort of what I sport most oh, of the time. Oh nice.
0: So you're like you're like a nineteen nineties hipster kid. Yeah, okay.
1: Yeah, yeah. Definitely. Especially with the hair, so which I developed last year. Oh, it's um, quite nice. Thank you. I feel like I'm living the dream uh, of <laughs> The nineties, even though I was born in ninety four, so I mean, the nineties
0: are pretty cool. They were a good, they were a good decade.
1: <laughs> I wish I could have experienced it more.
0: <laughs> I was the nineties only started when I was six, so I didn't can't say that I lived through them with any kind of like knowledge, but I remember them being cool.
1: <laughs> yeah, and uh, oh, inaccessible piece of clothing. I don't, I don't know most clothes, jeans.
0: <laughs> yeah, jeans for me are he also eyes. like. <laughs> They're also so inaccessible because different to you. Like when I sit in jeans, my because I'm sitting, my genitals will bunch in a, in an area because I'm sitting, and so like if you sit in in jean material, yeah. it really really hurts everywhere.
1: Yeah, I mean, since I've had my abscess uh, operate on, it's that's an issue I have <laughs> that sometimes if I i'm wearing certain kinds of jeans or trousers um like i can't sit on a solid floor anymore things like that Um, (laughs) so i i understand i kind of get it
0: yeah it's a really
1: hurts
0: (laughs) yeah it's really really painful And like i used to wear i remember going out in college and wearing jeans and wearing like wanting to wear the sexy like because i go to gay clubs and i want to like Pick up a dude for the evening. Mm-hmm. So I like, wear whatever else was wearing, which is like jeans. And I remember one night I brought this guy home from the bar, and we we're gonna like mess around. And he pulled my pants down to do things. And then he was like, "Oi, why are your balls red?" And I was like, "Oh, it's just the jeans. Like, so sorry, it's just my <laughs> jeans." He was like, "No, no, they're really red." And I was like, "Yeah, I know. It's because of the jeans." And I had to like explain to him pre blowjob that it's. <laughs> Just the jeans and here's why I don't wear them.
1: (laughs) Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, luckily I've not had to explain that to anybody. (laughs) 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 But, uh, yeah, I mean, that's the thing to me. Everyday wear is inaccessible. Like, uh, I can't even imagine something that's, like, avant-garde and, like,
0: fancy and cool
1: yeah everything is inaccessible like bras i can't wear a bra like even um i can't wear binders (laughs) like i used to wear binders at university for a little while but they make my ribs come out like my ribs pop out because of the compression
0: oh yeah that's something that again and you know rightfully as you as you're your fat friends would say that's something that i would never i wouldn't even my brain didn't go there until you said it right now i'm like oh yeah oh yeah it makes sense so like mm-hmm. if you were, if you were to design clothing for somebody with your myriad of diagnoses like what would you what is
1: oh i don't know i think i would definitely make jeans that look like levi's but are definitely more comfortable for a pajama start.
0: jeans but like the yeah. sexier than material like a different material but not jeans but that look like jeans yes I'm totally yes. there for that yes. yes
1: um something has to be done about bras I don't know what to say I don't like not wearing bras I'm just very uncomfortable about that but like um I can't wear underwires because that just digs in um but I can't wear racer backs that don't have underwire because they come up to here and pressing on this sort of muscle like where you're you know uh, your traps (laughs) where your neck meets your shoulder um that's that triggers off migraines
0: fun again something that i would never have considered until you said it so i'm
1: yeah we we learn new things (laughs) every day because that wasn't always my reality either i didn't always have that as an issue i had to deal with that's within the last year or so
0: is like Um, hanging around naked and not wearing clothes like i don't know i'm not saying that to be like cheeky i'm saying that to be like actually is that like a would that be a solution for you to like not wear anything does that feel good or does that feel weird
1: um partially it feels weird to me but also i do not live alone (laughs) oh (laughs) I live with my mum, her partner, uh, the dog, and my grandparents. Um, Yeah,
0: that would be, yeah, so maybe, yeah.
1: Although my mum and my grand have always, like, brought me up quite liberal and, you know, nudity is nudity, it's whatever. Um, Yeah, I don't, (laughs) I don't want to walk around naked in front of everybody. I don't think they would appreciate it either. Um, But, yeah, for the most part, it's just that I don't feel comfortable existing naked I guess or like even like I said like even without a bra even if I just like had a t-shirt no bra that's very uncomfortable to me yeah it's something about the sensations um of like the way material rubs differently yeah I've not really I've not managed to find anybody else who feels the same way (laughs) so So if anybody else feels that way Make me feel less weird, please.
0: So, like, maybe they should have clothing sections for people with, like, chronic illness. Maybe they need to have, like... There are certain brands. I know Rebirth Garments in the States does a lot of stuff with that. And they're cool, but I'd love to see... And we see a lot of accessible accessible garments, like, coming out now for wheelchair users and stuff, but it would be really cool to have somebody with a host of invisible disabilities like you... (laughs) Yeah, like, I can test it all. Thing yeah, <laughs> saying like, hey, here's how this would actually work for me. So anybody who makes clothes, reach out to Artie because they have a host of things they can share with you <laughs> that you probably need to know. Um, great
1: test subjects.
0: <laughs> now, because, because you do books on your YouTube channel and you do like a reading and you do all that stuff, I thought a fun question for you would be, if you could write a book with a disabled main character that lived with any disability you want to portray, how would you want to see them portrayed in a book?
1: Um, this is actually really funny because I've just read a book that I feel like did it really well because um, otherwise I don't really have an answer for that because I just would love it if we were not depicted as burdens for a start um, That we didn't sacrifice ourselves to, you know,
0: help the the able-bodied person feel better about themselves.
1: Yeah, because that apparently happens in a book I was going to read and then changed my mind. Oh no, (laughs) we're gonna read me.
0: Were you gonna read me before you? Because
1: no, (laughs) no, it was um, Station Eleven. Apparently, it's a zombie apocalypse book, um, and uh, a side character I think is a wheelchair user. Um, and he kills himself so his brother can live longer. Or something. Oh, no. That's what I've read somewhere. Um, so I was like, cool, uh, I'm not reading that one.
0: Well, I kind of want to <laughs> hate read it now to be like, mm, I here's why <laughs> the worst.
1: yeah, I know. So I.
0: <laughs> we should start a disability hate reading club where we just read, <laughs> we read the worst <laughs> possible, like ableist motions. like here's why this sucks. Let's read about it together.
1: Uh, yeah, the, that would go on forever. But I mean, the book I just read is called Even If We Break. Um, and it's like a, a mystery, murder mystery kind of YA novel. Uh, nice. Two of the main characters have disabilities. Um, one is autistic, but also had a, um, an accident which led to uh, chronic pain and uh, an injury to the knee Um, and then the other one of the other main characters is um, a trans man who it doesn't say what he has but I feel like it's a hypermobile disorder because it talks about subluxing joints and unstable joints and things like that and he uses crutches Um, and I just felt like the way both of those characters were written was like just really nicely done I was like wow I feel seen (laughs) I don't feel offended by any of this I feel like someone understands what I've been through (laughs) um like I think there was just a little passage that I took a photo of because like this is just me I feel this (laughs) um Yeah, there's a little section uh, with the crossover of being trans and disabled um, and also queer. Um, I never did crushes before, I didn't feel comfortable enough in my own skin, I didn't know how much of a hang-up gender would be for other people, or disability for that matter. If you're constantly told people like you don't have meaningful relationships, it's hard to believe you're allowed to try. I was like... <gasps> Oh my, god. <laughs> oh my god
0: that's literally that's literally me like no even me is like I want I need that because I need that tattoo to be somewhere that's like, like wow yeah <laughs> literally
1: I, so I that that book was just like a really nice read that I had literally today I've binge read the whole book today
0: and it was um, called it's called when we break
1: even if we break
0: I will find it make sure that's in the show notes because I want to read that now because <laughs> you need more representation yeah. like that yeah, um,
1: highly recommend. Also, a non-binary main character in there too, um, and a couple of cis bisexual people. Um, nice, nice, cool collection.
0: <laughs> nice. All right, I will definitely uh, put that in the show notes. Before I let you go, though, I did have one last question for you. You mentioned in your questionnaire to me that you, in in kind of you're your looking for diagnoses and all these things you're doing, that you stumbled upon a therapist mm. <laughs> who, who has Crohn's like you have and you said that it was really helpful for you to have a therapist with one of your diagnoses can you talk mm. about kind of what that felt like to have a therapist with the diagnosis you have and uh, and what that did for you and why it's important
1: yeah I mean I had a counselor like right before I met this therapist as well um because I was just trying to deal with the overwhelming existence of all of these things had changed in my life um and I just needed somewhere to talk about it all so I was like okay I'll just take I'll just take any talking counsellor who can talk to me um on like video chat so I don't have to go anywhere but yeah it was literally pandemic hit and I was like well I'm very mentally ill I need help (laughs) um And I'd sort of started to realise like, even though the main reason I was talking to her was to talk about being disabled and kind of coming to terms with everything that's happened. She just kind of asked really insensitive questions and didn't kind of know how to speak to me about any of them. Um, And I I decided that I needed to see, an actual therapist and i was looking into types of therapy to try because i was also dealing with like some ptsd kinds of symptoms from um a traumatic event <laughs> with some staff uh, at a hospital that was like continually being triggered for over a year after it happened um because it was to do with blood tests and i have to get those very regularly um and i would have a panic attack pretty much every single time I had to have a blood test or a cannula put in um, and that was like at least monthly if not more regularly uh, and that was then making me sicker I was getting more and more unwell because the stress of having a panic attack um, sets off a lot of my symptoms so I was looking for specifically someone who did EMDR therapy because I was looking for something that should help um trauma and
0: uh and emdr therapy again is
1: um i don't know what it stands for but it's basically uh, a type of therapy that reprograms your brain uh when it comes to certain situations that you've experienced. Um emdr.
0: <laughs>
1: Let me see what it
0: stands for. I've heard about it. Like I know what it is but I just can't think of the actual term.
1: Why has that come up? Uh, eye movement desensitization and reprocessing therapy. That's right.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So, like...
1: so often it's eyes, but that wasn't working for me because I was that was too distracting. <laughs> so we instead uh, plug me in like this with headphones and I'll have like biannual noises. So I'll hear it like, Blip on one side, blip on the other, and it sort of makes my eyes do the shifting, but my eyes are closed.
0: Okay. Um,
1: so that's what I basically do in the specific EMDR sessions. Um, and I just was looking through this directory um, and looking for someone semi-local. I sent it literally was the first woman I saw on the site. I was like oh she also kind of has you know background in this that and the other that I was also looking at and uh, hoping to get help with further down the line so I sent her a, a message asking uh if she thinks she might be able to help me specifically after explaining everything <laughs> that I was sort of dealing with and going through um and also that I don't have a lot of expended like money to spend so is it possible she could possibly discount her prices? She also did that too. Um,
0: oh, that's so nice because we still rarely hear about therapists like
1: yeah <laughs>
0: taking into account the fact that many of us are poor and many of us don't have a lot of expendable income to just throw around.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, so she took off about £15. Pounds. So um, I pay £40 pound a session, which isn't too bad yeah um, more than what i'd spent before but those were on like counselors for talking therapy not for something so um specific yeah um so yeah i i think i can't remember if she told me in like a reply that she had crohn's but basically she told me that she also has crohn's too um she's also on uh, one of the same medications <laughs> as me um
0: and that makes it so much easier for you because then you can like say, "Hey, this mad, I'm, this mad that I know you take is making me feel like shit today," or like <laughs> this thing happened.
1: Yeah, out. like oh, I had to go for a colonoscopy, which is always fun, or like oh, I had to take, um, or like I shit myself breath. on
0: the bus today, or like yeah. I, you
1: know, <laughs> oh, I ate this thing and I just immediately threw up. Like, <laughs> thank
0: you.
1: Uh, yeah, it was just the fact that she didn't need constant. Um, explaining of my already traumatised self (laughs) just so she could understand what I was saying she already understood what I said because she'd already been through it and she was very she's always very sympathetic as well um and she I feel like speaking to someone who's been through what you've been through um is helpful in that you know that they get it
0: yeah you don't, feel like you don't you have, have to, to like spend the whole yourself. session is not explaining why you're still a good person after you shit yourself the, session, <laughs> yeah. is,
1: the yeah. session
0: is just like i shit myself and i felt like shit and i want to just be with that and they go yeah been there exactly been there and get it 100 percent. like yes
1: yeah and she understands like obviously um the system that we have over here Uh, And that, you know, we put ourselves into these doctors, nurses, you know, other uh, members of staff's hands, because we have to, not because we want to, but we have to, um, to sustain life, basically. Yeah. Um, And just the way that some people can treat you is vile and is not okay and not fair. Um, And it shouldn't be the way it is sometimes. Um, And it can verge on being gaslit by an entire institution. That's how it explains sort of how I felt when I was (laughs) traumatised in the phlebotomy area of a hospital that I was like my arm was held in place and I was sobbing and like basically having a panic attack um, and she wouldn't let me leave and then when I made a complaint they told they said to me that oh well we understand that you weren't in um, a great mindset at the time um, and you may have read the situation differently
0: so your you <laughs>
1: Yeah, and I was like, my mum was literally next to me. I was like, I have a witness. (laughs) And and like things like that, and also being just entirely neglected by some entire sections of hospitals and uh, brushed off by doctors are all things that are a regular occurrence for us.
0: (laughs) Yeah, and things that they should be doing their best to, to not have happen ever.
1: Yeah. Um, like
0: The hospital is it supposed to be, and I, maybe this is my own sense of privilege. When I go to the hospital and I've been in, I've been in situations when I've been hospitalized where they've treated me poorly. But when you first go in there, your first thought is, or should be, it should be, it, it's probably not for a lot of us, but it should be, I'm at the hospital now. I should be safe. Mm. Like you're supposed to go there and feel safe and unfortunately so many of us with disabilities report saying that you know you go there and you don't feel safe and you don't feel supported and I'm so sorry that that happened to you and it shouldn't have happened and yeah
1: (laughs) after that happened as well it had such a long after effects it happened every time I even went to a hospital like, this was this all happened at a hospital I don't usually go to, but going to any hospital, um, I would start to, like, I could feel my heart rate go up. I would start panicking. My hands would get sweaty. Um, some of the times it was full-blown panic attacks. Uh, like, if it, if it involved a needle, uh, a needle to my vein, then that that would set off a panic attack that I would have to try and calm down from and get through the procedure. Um, But I also had it just going to my GP's office or going to the hospital to see a rheumatologist or the gastro team or anything like that or going to another hospital or a different area, like anything involving the medical people teams and locations it would always just set off like a fight or flight kind of sensation where i kind of almost couldn't think anymore i was in like survival mode i was like who's going to like attack me next is almost how it felt how am i going to hold my ground so they won't force me to do something i don't want to do um and like for the most part, a lot of doctors I have had experience with uh, have been really good and really amazing um, and have made me feel safe, seen and heard and respected my wishes and boundaries. Um, but, you know, the few times that I've had bad experiences have left pretty lasting impacts, that, which is why I, I had to go to therapy. Otherwise, I was just not going to get through it. <laughs> Yeah. I, I still have to have monthly blood tests um, and I will, will still have to have blood tests for the next 60 years or so That's I mean that's how much we're guessing I'm going to live for anyway uh, <laughs> uh, along with other procedures that involve cannulas and hospital stays and other meds and stuff that make you feel like shit and I mean I inject myself every week now as well so like there's a lot of things I had to get through so I could take care of myself Yeah. Um, just like I, I knew my automatic response wasn't because of the people who were trying to treat me for the most part it was because of one person who tried to treat me
0: and the history and the drama that you went through yeah yeah of course yeah
1: um, it was a so trauma response. Yeah, and it was difficult trying to, like, give myself permission in some ways to feel that way. Like, um, this was something that one of my therapists said last year. I think uh, <laughs> that I, you know, I should be allowed to be upset at what happened, and I should be allowed to feel upset that it's disrupted so much. Um, and then from there it was like okay that how do I actually deal with this because no matter how much I you know forgive myself or forgive whatever or you know put in the past what happened it was still a response I was having so I, I could talk about it until I was blue in the face but it wasn't changing the fact that if anyone came within three feet of me with a a needle I would start having a panic attack and cry yeah so that's why I specifically looked for like uh different types of therapy and went with EMDR and I can say it has helped me um and it is now a lot easier to get those things done I now just get a little bit sweaty (laughs) um and it's so far been pretty good I've managed to do that we're working on other trauma
0: (laughs) yeah I'm so happy to hear that at least that part for you has gotten to a place where you're comfy now
1: yeah like it's manageable before it just wasn't Um, and it was all thanks to one having someone who understands being in that position um, and then also someone who has the tools to do do the thing to my brain whatever it is they do in EMDR because I don't understand really what they do but (laughs) whatever it is they do it worked for for me so that was something as well I was like well at least I know that this works and if I do ever become re-traumatized for anything but especially when it comes to medical related things I know I can go back to EMDR and do that and I will be okay and I will get through it because that was what it was at the point I wasn't sure it would go away it was just getting worse
0: Um, well I'm so glad you found something that could at least at least manage it for you because it's it it I know from personal experience how tough it can be to be in the medical system anyway but then to have (laughs) trauma associated with that when you need medical stuff I'm sure it hasn't been easy. So, and again, thank you so much for sharing that because I know, like, I know that it's not easy to put that stuff on a podcast for other people to hear, but I know people listening will hear that story and be like, good, someone, else. Well, not good, but like, yay, someone <laughs> else is going through it with me. I don't feel so alone now.
1: Yeah. I mean, I talk about a lot of those kinds of things on my YouTube channel. Um, I put up a video where I reacted to myself a year in the past. So I was like six months after my first diagnosis, and then like a year and six months. Um, And all I could do was cry because I was just, I felt so bad for the little me from a year prior um, who hadn't even hit half the horrendous things that were about to happen. that was I filmed that in November, so as well as what like a whole pandemic. (laughs) Yeah. There were all these other things that happened to my health and diagnosis and stuff that I wasn't prepared for. Um but yeah I, I try to share those kinds of things and uh I share them in video form as well just because like seeing me cry is different to seeing or reading my uh edited and well put together words when I've written them up. Uh, I can be a lot more eloquent with my language when I write versus when I speak out loud. Um, But yeah, I try to show some of those honest uh, but really shitty parts (laughs) of being disabled because you've kind
0: of just described my whole Instagram feed is basically that (laughs) like I really try to talk about like what I'm going through and what it feels like and all that stuff because I don't think we see that enough and we see Mm. we're so often forced to curate our own our own experiences in a way that's palatable for someone else and it's really hard to show like no this is shitty and I want to show you the shitty stuff too so I appreciate that you're doing that especially on a platform like YouTube that is not the most queer friendly and not the most accessible. I appreciate that you're putting that there.
1: Yeah, well, I mean, it's it's just been something I've been passionate about since it happened to me that I just, I didn't have any community. I had no one. I was uh, isolated in my home, which is also in the middle of the countryside. So I don't, I don't have neighbors. I don't, there's nobody here. (laughs) I was alone. Uh, except from my like immediate family that I live with. Um, and the biggest part that I feel like saved me was the internet. Um, like I've made some really great friends online with similar or the same conditions as me. And I don't think I would have made it without them. Like I almost thought I was going to end up with another abscess and another surgery roughly the same time. Uh, but a year later, um, and I wasn't sure how I was going to get through, but I was, uh, I felt safe in a way because I knew I had people this time because that first time I had no one. I didn't have my team. I didn't have friends really around, but I knew that if I did have to go through it a second time, I at least had all these friends online who know what's going on or also have the same thing going on and i have my therapist and i have my (laughs) mum, and i I do have some of the friends that i'd met in real time and real life um but when it happened in that first sort of like 2019 i i was very alone even though technically we could go out and do things and see people um
0: in the before times
1: yeah in the before times <laughs> so a part of why i try to put a lot of it out there is because i had no idea what was happening to me um and a lot of my friends didn't have any idea what was happening to me and it was harder to just have the same conversation with however many different people <laughs> so it became easier just to post it publicly in some ways like i think Hello. That-
0: I think that's really cool. Like and I, I got, and I've i watched of your YouTube and I've watched some of you do like some of the stuff you've talked about and it is like I think you and I are similar in that we don't have the hugest following like not the whole world doesn't follow us but at least if somebody stumbles on our stuff they they have a safe place to go and that feels mm. like I've reached this point this year and last year too where I'm like I don't care what my numbers are like I don't <laughs> care what if I'm a huge youtuber podcaster or whatever i don't yeah. care <laughs> like i'm gonna put some out there because i know that somebody will find it and feel connected then
1: yeah i definitely feel like um like i wrote a post on my erythema and Adosum experience and people still read that today and that's two years nearly two years later um so i feel like I've done something right I suppose <laughs> yep. like I went through something shit so here was my experience of it hopefully other people will see this and it will help them figure out what's going on um, or it'll help give them a
0: soft place to land it's like somewhere to yeah. like yeah
1: or like some way of like oh I can say this to that person instead or you know I can like, like a lot of uh, advocating for yourself when it comes to doctors who want you to do this that and the other but you're you know overwhelmed that was the biggest issue was just being overwhelmed by all this new information um and then sort of being expected to make a decision right then and there on like medication or you know some people it's surgery um and I hope that whatever I put online will either help people figure out what's going on for them or help them feel like they have some control I guess over yeah
0: Yeah. their life I think that that the more disabled creators like we talked about Jessica and I I can't say her last name either you know she knows who (laughs) she is Jessica from Brighton the really cool creator that does all the cool stuff like I think seeing more disabled creators in the space like it's just so comforting to see other people talking about it, and what, what I love about the smaller creators like you and I is that we get to just say our shit, and like we're not beholden to like we don't have a formula we have to follow. We can just say what it is, and people will either they'll they'll take that in or they won't, and it's okay. Mm.
1: Yeah, for sure.
0: Um, speaking of your YouTube channel, how can people? How can people not only subscribe to that, but how can they follow all your work and follow you? Because it was great to have you on today.
1: <laughs> Thank you. I had a great time. I haven't spoken to a human being in God knows how long.
0: Oh, yeah. So. I'm glad to be your first. <laughs> first of the year,
1: I think, at least. But yeah, oh, first in a while, too. Um, well, I'm pretty much Artie Carden everywhere. Uh, Instagram, Artie Carden. Um, YouTube is Artie Carden as well. But they also have that annoying thing where it's on the old, like, username where I first made it under. But you should be able to find me with just Articarden. Carden. Um, my blog is articarden.com I'm on Twitch sometimes. The only one that's out of the loop is Twitter, where I've got an underscore at the end. But otherwise...
0: Okay. I will go on. I'll find it on your <laughs> socials and I'll make sure that it's on the show notes because, I know, this was such a... It was such a smorgasbord of things we talked about. <laughs> yeah. I'm not sure how I'm gonna edit this one yet, but we'll figure it out. I'll figure it out. I'll, I'll make it sound all pretty. But uh <laughs> this was really fun. Thank you so much for coming on today and taking the time in your evening to sit with me and have a fun, almost two-hour chat about disability and everything in between. Uh <laughs> it was great. And I'm so happy we finally connected.
1: Yeah, thank you so much. It was uh yeah, really nice having a chat to a human being, as I keep saying. <laughs> i've been so so
0: alone (laughs) i'm so glad i could be your first human being we could talk about your bum canal and it was great it was a really good time um all right but Artie, we'll talk very very soon and thank you so much for coming on today
1: yeah thank you so much (laughs) thanks
0: all right that was another episode of disability after dark the podcast shining a bright light on disability stories a part of the wheels on the ground network I am really, really happy you came to this one. If you want to follow my work, you can head over to www.drewgerza.com. And you can follow me on all my socials at at Drew Gerza. So Instagram and Twitter at Drew Gerza. You can also follow the podcast at DisAftDarkPod on Twitter. Remember, if you want to be a part of the show, you can email us at disabilityafterdark at gmail.com. Tell us a little bit about your story. Tell us a little bit about why you want to be on the show, and we'd love to have you. The show is, again, no longer just a sex and disability podcast. We want to talk to you about everything, so drop us a line. We'd absolutely love to hear from you. Remember, if you want to support the show, you can go to patreon.com disabilityafterdark and pledge as little as $1 a month or as much as $5 a month or more to keep a bright light shining on these stories. I'm your host, Drew Gerza, your disabled daddy. Thank you so much for listening to this Wheels on the Ground production. And um, we'll talk to you soon. Thanks for listening. Bye! Copyright notice. Disability After Dark was presented, created, and produced by Drew Gerza and Wheels on the Ground Productions. Any and all materials, including graphics, audio recordings, and music, are property of the owner and cannot be used or distributed without express permission. Copyright 2020-2021.